Welcome to the Southside Sermons Podcast. I am Christopher Campbell, pastor of Southside Baptist Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. This message you're about to hear is from God's Word and is offered to you with this prayer that God would give you eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to obey His Word. May your faith be strengthened in Jesus and may you grow in your knowledge of Him. last verse in this paragraph, Acts chapter 19 and verse 20, it says, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. When Acts has presented a statement like this before, it has usually been something like this, something like Acts chapter 6 verse 7 that says, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Or even more recently, Acts 12, 24, that says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. But here in Acts chapter 19, something different is said. It's not that the word of God multiplied, but here it is said, we're told that the word of the Lord prevailed. To prevail implies a conflict. To prevail means the word of the Lord was shown to have strength and capability for some purpose. To prevail means that the reward of increase was not automatic, but it was fought for and won against resistance and opposition. Acts chapter 19 verse 20 tells us that the word of the Lord not only prevails, but the word of the Lord prevails mightily. And this should wake us all up, for this teaches us the realities of the forces that work against the ministry of God's word. It is no coincidence that God's word is called a sword in Ephesians 6 verse 17. The word of the Lord encountered a conflict in this Asian city of Ephesus. And knowing this prepares us as hearers of God's word to ask the question, what kind of opposition might we face as disciples of Jesus who proclaim his word in the world? For three months, Paul spoke boldly in the synagogue in Ephesus dialoguing and persuading about the kingdom of God. But in time, the same group in that synagogue that had earlier invited Paul to stay longer eventually became stubborn, disobedient, and insulted the way before the congregation. The word of God really does require a response from all who hear it. A response of faith by believing this is God's word and it is true, and thereby you live by it, or a response in unbelief and rejection that leads to reviling it. There is only so long that a person can hear God's word and remain undecided, unmoved, or unchanged. Why is this? Because there are forces actively working to oppose God's word. The longer a person hears without believing, the harder the heart becomes to the truth. 
those who heard Paul in the synagogue were hardened and became revilers of the way, Acts 19, verse 9. So after three months, Paul left them. He took the disciples and he went into the lecture hall of Tyrannus, where for two years, Paul used that space every day to dialogue about God's word to a wider audience. And it was such that in Acts chapter 19, verse 10, it says, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. But not only did the residents of Asia hear the word of the Lord, but they also witnessed the power of the word at work. Look with me in verse 11. It says, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Paul's mission work in Ephesus was accompanied by extraordinary miracles. The word miracle is dunamis. Dunamis is a word most often translated in the New Testament as power. It's the same word used to describe the power that Jesus promised to his disciples in Acts 1.8 when he said, but you will receive dunamis. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses and in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In the context of Paul's mission to Ephesus, this power of God became visible through acts of God called miracles. And Luke tells us that Paul was not the source of these miracles, but that God was the source of these miracles. Lest the Ephesians think that Paul is powerful, lest we as hearers of this word think that we ourselves have any power or intrinsically capable of these kind of powerful deeds in and of ourselves, Luke writes clearly that this power belongs to God. Verse 11 begins by saying, God was doing, or God was performing these miracles by the hand of Paul. God is always the miracle worker. Paul is not powerful. Paul is empowered. And that's an important distinction. Paul is an instrument of the Holy Spirit, The Holy Spirit being the one who performs these miracles so that all who are in Ephesus and so that all in the world may know that there is a living God in heaven. He is not an idol and he is powerful and his power transcends all realms, heaven and earth, both the physical and the spiritual. Note one more description in verse 11 about these miracles of God in Ephesus Luke writes that these miracles are not just miracles, but are extraordinary miracles. Now, a miracle itself is extraordinary. By definition, a miracle is a manifestation of great power that implies the work of a supernatural force. We know as God's people what it's like to pray for God to work some kind of miracle to deliver us or someone else from a circumstance that we can't deliver ourselves from. We all know what it's like to need God to intervene in a miraculous way. 
And the kind of miracles we pray for require God to do something unnatural and extraordinary. To bring healing, to give supernatural guidance, to supply provision, to change a life, to otherwise make a way when there is no clear way. But all miracles are not alike. There are, in fact, ordinary miracles, and then there are extraordinary miracles, miracles of an elevated nature. And the type of miracles God worked through Paul in Ephesus are described as being extraordinary miracles. The original Greek language helps us to understand this better because it literally reads miracles, not the ordinary. These are not ordinary miracles, and this tells us something about the spiritually charged climate in Ephesus. Ephesus was not dealing in normal realms. Ephesus would not have been moved by ordinary miracles. Ephesus had a reputation as being the center for the learning and the practice of the magical arts. And the writings of this day, documents that were found to contain spells or written out formulas, were commonly called Ephesian writings. This was how the city of Ephesus had become known throughout the world. It was a city that was callous to signs and wonders in such a way that what you and I might call miraculous, they would call normal. Because they worshipped idols and dabbled in magic and gave footholds for the devil and the powers of darkness to thrive. But even in the midst of this, God acts. In a city that was known for the magical arts and known for supernatural manifestations, God met them there and his word prevailed. To a people used to ordinary miracles, God showed his power through working extraordinary miracles. God showed the Ephesians that he has power and victory over all they were dealing in and with, even over the spiritual powers of darkness. Paul would later write to the Ephesian church knowing that they understood in a very practical way the reality of spiritual conflict and spiritual opposition. He wrote this encouragement and this command in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We know spiritual warfare exists. We know that God is opposed by spiritual and demonic forces of evil that manifest themselves in physical ways and through physical institutions through idol worship and cults and so on. The Ephesians did not ascribe trivial challenges in life to the work of the devil, but they encountered and experienced and witnessed on a regular basis the powers over this present darkness and the spiritual forces of evil. What kind of extraordinary miracles did God work by the hands of Paul? Well, we aren't told all of them, 
But verse 12 says that they were such that, look with me at verse 12, even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched Paul's skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. It would be miraculous enough for someone like Paul to walk by and with a word or a touch to cast out a demon or to heal a disease directly in the name of the Lord. But in an extraordinary fashion, these things were happening indirectly through Paul's clothes. Something so small and seemingly powerless and even one step removed. The word handkerchief is something like a sweat cloth. And likewise, the apron was something that Paul would wear as part of his work making tents. Remember, he's a tent maker. It's worth remembering that Paul was not in the miracle business. Paul did not make a living by advertising and performing miracles for financial gain. And he could have done that. And he could have thrived at that in Ephesus, doing these things. Because there was a market there, a worship, even an interest in these things. But Paul instead worked. He was a tent maker. His own hands supplied for his needs. And when he wasn't working on tents, he was making use of opportunities to teach in places like the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And even from house to house. Verse 13 introduces us to a group, unlike Paul, who made their living in a different way. Look with me at verse 13. It says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Now these itinerant Jewish exorcists traveled around casting out demons, and the presence of these exorcists in Ephesus shows the need for such exorcisms in Ephesus. The exorcists would attempt to cast out demons by appealing to a higher power. And so here, the Bible says they undertook or they attempted, meaning they had no success. They attempted to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus. Not because they know Jesus, But because they see the extraordinary miracles being worked by the hands of Paul. They see the power of God being worked through Paul. And don't miss this. They obviously hear the message Paul proclaims about the Lord Jesus. And recognize where Paul's power comes from. Because they say, not I adjure you by Paul. But they say, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. There was never any doubt concerning the source of Paul's power. And this tells us that every miracle of Paul accompanied gospel proclamation. Every miracle of Paul was credited as the working of God through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. Miracles are power displayed for a purpose. When you and I pray for miracles... God's word challenges us not to pray for the miracle as the end in itself, but for the purpose of that miracle, to be the glorifying of God and making known Jesus through that work if God chooses to do it. Verse 14 says that seven 
sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But look with me at verse 15. It says, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Jesus I know. The evil spirit has a present knowledge of Jesus. It knows who he is. Paul, I recognize. That's a different word than know. The evil spirit does not know Paul in the same way it knows Jesus, but it nevertheless is acquainted with Paul. It has acquired information about this Paul. The evil spirit obviously does not know or have any information about these seven sons of Sceva. These seven sons of Sceva have not registered any movement on the enemy's seismometer. The ground is not shaking. The powers of darkness have not noticed their work or ministry. Look with me at verse 16. It says, And the man in whom the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. I want to underline that word overpowered. That's the word prevailed. The evil spirit prevailed against them. The scriptures teach us that the prevailing power of Jesus is not available second hand. Because faith is not appropriated secondhand. The sweat cloths and the work aprons from Paul would miraculously bring healing of diseases to those who touched them. But those items had touched Paul. Those items had touched the source. Those items were known to be Paul's and his message was known throughout all of Asia. So as the items themselves went forth, so did the message of Jesus go forth. But the sons of Sceva attempted to appropriate power without ever touching the source. They did not invoke the name of the Lord Jesus whom they knew, but they attempted to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus whom Paul knew. And their attempts were powerless. It is profitable to use this text to point out that your faith must be your own. You cannot appeal to the faith of your father or your mother, your brother or your sister, your grandparents or your friends and say, look who they were. Look at their faith. I'm covered. The word of God records this question asked by an evil spirit. It's a good question for us, for any who desire to represent Jesus in power. That question is, who are you? Who are we? It doesn't matter as a church our faith tradition. It doesn't matter our denominational affiliation. It doesn't matter what our ecclesial identity or polity is. If we do not have faith ourselves. The power is found in knowing the source. In knowing the Lord. Not through another, but directly Look with me at verse 17. It says, This became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear 
fell upon them all in the name of the Lord Jesus, was extolled. Pay attention to that word fear. Because these things should cause you to fear. You should fear knowing that there are ever-present powers of darkness and spiritual forces at work even now. Opposing the work of God and doing the bidding of the devil. You should fear going to sleep at night if you do not know the Lord. Because these things are real, even if you cannot see them. Ephesus woke up, and God got their attention. They saw things the likes of which they had never seen before. They saw a power in the name of this Lord Jesus that was so powerful that it cast out the powers of darkness, expelling demons and diseases, even with something so insignificant and small as touching a handkerchief that bore the sweat of its owner, but an owner that was the servant of the Most High God. At all of this, the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. That word extolled is a word that means to exalt, to magnify, to glorify. It was not Paul who was exalted, it was Jesus who was exalted, because once again, everyone was able to trace back the source of these miracles to Jesus, to God. Look at verses 18 and 19. It says, also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. It says, many of those who were now believers came. Literally translated, it says, and many of those who had believed came. The ones coming to confess and disclose their practices and burn their books were not the pagans. It was the Christians. It was the believers. It was not the idol worshipers, but those who were in the church, the believers, Yes, some had been new converts, but they were all believers who still practiced these magical arts. These believers still had books in their homes of the magical arts. And while they may have turned from their former ways, they were not yet set free from them because they held on to them. What causes Christians to remain powerless, ineffective, useless, and even become hindrances of gospel advancement and spiritual growth? Answer, hanging on to what Christ has already freed you from. Do you know what the main motivation was for holding on to those things in Ephesus was? Financial gain. The inspiration of religion in Ephesus was financial gain. If you read through this whole context of this passage, you'll see that. A riot would later ensue because those who had made their living selling idols to be worshipped had less sales now because the gospel was turning people away from those idols. So the people were losing money. Religion was corrupt because religion in Ephesus worshipped money. Why else does this text tell us that they counted the value of the books that were burned and it was 50 thousand pieces of silver. 
That's about 50,000 days worth of wages. And they found freedom by burning all of those books, by forsaking all of that gain. Fire in this day was the most destructive way to completely get rid of something. And they gave up all that was hindering them from following the Lord fully and powerfully. In the New Testament, Jesus will speak a lot about the hold that money can have, but that's just one example. There are many other things, many other things that can become idols and keep you from the worship of the one true living God and keep you from being free in him. I saw an article this week that a man in Canada burned about $1 million so that he wouldn't have to pay his ex-wife child support. So over the course of several transactions, he withdrew from several accounts about $1 million U.S. terms in cash. And he set fire to it. He burned it up. It took several burnings to do that. It was all gone. What that man did to his cash for evil purposes, the believers did in Ephesus for a godly purpose, forsaking over 50,000 pieces of silver so that they might value more the Lord Jesus. And then verse 20 says, so, in this way, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. I am encouraged by this text because it reveals a God who is not above meeting people on their own terms. Whatever you believe to be your strength, God can meet you there to show himself stronger. Whatever you think you idolize, God can show the deadness of that thing by demonstrating his living power. To the Ephesians who involved themselves in the spiritual realms, God met them there by showing his power over the spirits. And to us, humans, weak and frail, God met us on our terms as well. He met us on our terms when he stepped down from his glorious seat in heaven and came to a cradle of dirt as a man, like us, Jesus. He met us on our terms when he became familiar through living a life like we do, with temptations and suffering. He met us on our terms when on the cross he experienced death for sin. Sin he did not commit, but sin he became for us. He met us on our terms when he was buried in the grave, going the way of death before us. Then he rose and he raises us up to his terms, purifying us, cleansing us, forgiving our sin and granting us eternal life. And he raises us up to his terms, empowering us with his presence forever by his Holy Spirit indwelling within us in power. And he will raise us up in a coming day where we will be changed and made like him will always be with him. This text asks a question of why. Why would we wait to witness maybe extraordinary miracles to trust the Lord? 
Does the Lord need to do that kind of work to get your attention as he did in Ephesus? Is that the kind of realm you're dealing in? Or will we believe the word that is preached this morning? And believe not the miracles, but the one who is the power working them. This text asks the question of who? Who are you? Are you found to be in Christ? Are you known as his? Is your faith merely a faith of association? For all of us, these things God reveals are true. The enemies are real. The conflict is certain. Why is it that we don't see God's power displayed in such ways today? We may not see it because we're not attacking the gates of hell. We're not going into those kind of dark places with the light of Christ. This challenges all. There's a serious, serious danger when Christianity becomes cultural. When Christianity becomes cultural, it becomes convenient. When Christianity becomes convenient, it becomes comfortable. And when Christianity becomes comfortable, it becomes powerless. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Thank you again for listening to this message. I pray that God would accomplish his purpose in you through the preaching, hearing, receiving, and believing of his word. If you wish to share any comments or questions about the message you have heard, please call Southside at 256-353-8814 or visit us on the web at southsidebaptist.net. Also, make sure to subscribe or follow this podcast to receive a new message each week.